0: If you have thought at all about Spotify in the last week, you probably thought about your Spotify Wrapped. If you don't know what that is, Wrapped is the summary, sometimes pretty embarrassing, of what you listen to the most this year. And even though Ashley Carmen covers Spotify as part of her beat at Bloomberg, she also has a 2023 Wrapped.
1: Oh gosh, my Spotify Wrapped is interesting because it has been the same number one artist for like, I swear, five years or something. It's Lana Del Rey, always. I play her on flights oftentimes, and I listen to her full albums, so I end up just racking up the hours of Lana Del Rey songs and so all of her songs end up being in my rapt. I wish it was more interesting I really do
0: my top artist of the year is somehow Taylor Swift despite the fact that I can probably name three of her songs my preschooler loves to dance to shake it off so Spotify thinks I'm a Swifty I think this is the way civilians think about Spotify, if they think about Spotify, right? Like, oh, it's December, let me talk about my Spotify Wrapped. Is that how normal people think about it?
1: Yeah, I think they think about Spotify as a place where they can access their favorite music. Maybe they know it as a podcast app. It's just, it's a destination for them to listen to whatever they want. And Wrapped is that time of year where If you don't have Spotify, you probably have Spotify envy and wish you could share all of your listening habits from the past year. But it's definitely the moment when being a Spotify listener pays off, I guess.
0: And if that's how the normals think about Spotify, how do you think about it?
1: Well, it's a little different for me because I pay attention to Spotify so, so closely. I'm essentially a Spotify beat reporter. So for me, I think about Spotify as just a streaming juggernaut that encompasses music, podcasts, and starting this year, really in earnest, audiobooks as well. So I just think of it as an economic engine for various media formats that really drives money, revenue, it also drives consumption, and it it can drive culture as well.
0: If Spotify was composing a song about the past few years, it would not be up-tempo pop. It's gone through multi-million dollar acquisitions, a series of controversies, and has struggled to make money. It turned a surprise profit in the third quarter of this year. But then, just this week, Spotify announced another round of layoffs. It's third this year. 1,500 jobs will be axed then, just days after the layoff news, the company's CFO announced that he's leaving in March. In a statement Thursday evening, Spotify CEO Daniel Ek said, we've come to the conclusion that Spotify is entering a new phase and
1: needs a CFO with a different mix of experiences. And I don't necessarily know that that means this company is unhealthy. I think it just means that they are feeling that pressure to get to some really ambitious, goals and profitability goals, and to do that, they're going to make some serious cuts. Today on the
0: show, Ashley's Spotify wrapped on the company itself, its habits, its ambitions, its embarrassments, and how the next year is going to sound. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. For people who aren't familiar with it, can you tell me a little bit about Spotify's origin story? I mean, it was, what, founded in Sweden in
1: 2006? And then what happened? Spotify really came about during a time when the music industry was essentially decimated by piracy. Everyone was <laughs> downloading music illegally and not buying albums anymore. And so you had Daniel Eck who co-founded Spotify. He really had the idea that people might be willing to pay for music if they can stream it and if they can access essentially the world's history of music in one place and eventually do it ad-free. I mean, they could start as free users with ads, but then eventually pay and have an ad-free experience where they're also getting to consume music. And so He did that. He brought it around the world. They went public. They're a publicly offered company, and they're still independent to this day. So they really changed the music industry and brought it into the streaming era, which really didn't exist when it started. Who would you describe as their major competitors over the years? So Spotify's major competitors over the years primarily are probably the big tech services. So you have Amazon Music, Apple Music, and YouTube Music. YouTube Music is probably the biggest competitor, both on the music side, but also on the podcast side, simply because of the fact that so many podcasters record their shows on video and put them on YouTube and are able to really effectively monetize them. So YouTube Music, I would say, at least globally speaking, is probably their biggest competitor.
0: How's the music streaming side of the business doing now? I think
1: the music streaming side of the business is doing fine. I mean, it was already established. Like Spotify was always a music company. Again, they are the biggest streaming service and they continue to grow quarter over quarter as far as monthly average users go. I think they. the main thing they have to just try not The the main thing they're trying not to do is lose people. They want to keep growing. They don't want to lose people. And they don't want to lose people specifically to YouTube or TikTok in some way.
0: We need
1: to talk about podcasts.
0: Because around the time Spotify went public, the decision was made to get into podcasting.
1: How and why did they make that decision? They were always known as a music streaming service, which is great. But of course, anytime someone streams a song... Spotify has to pay a significant chunk of the money they they make from the users to the rights holders. So it really just meant that they were continuing to have to just give away a significant portion of their revenue. With podcasts, that's not the case. If you listen to a podcast on Spotify, they don't have to pay the podcast host or creator every time someone streams it. So it was a little bit different economically and it also diversified the business away from music. It gave them an opportunity to try something new and maybe even convert people to become podcast listeners. So I think they saw an opportunity there. They also saw the opportunity in podcast ad dollars. And so they acquired a bunch of companies, including podcast ad tech companies, in an effort to really grow their own original podcasts, but also to help monetize third-party podcasts and individual creators' shows.
0: It seemed like there were sort of like a couple of different I don't know, arms of their podcasting strategy. And I kind of want to break them down for you because there, there are like the big names, right? Joe Rogan, Alex Cooper. Then there's the 2019 purchase of Gimlet and Anchor. That's $340 million. Like it seemed like they were really going hardcore on podcasting. What worked
1: for them and what didn't? So you have the licensed shows, which are what you're mentioning around Joe Rogan, Alex Cooper, Dak Shepard. These are shows that Spotify does not own. They just pay to license them and exclusively monetize them, so sell ads on them. And as far as whether that specific strategy worked, I would say probably broadly, yes. I don't know if the exclusives part of it, where it's exclusive to Spotify itself worked. Spotify has, in some cases, put those shows out widely. So Dax Shepard's show is available outside of Spotify now. Emma Chamberlain, a deal they did recently, her audio version is available outside of Spotify. But- The fact that they could use these shows to get their ad tech off the ground so that people were essentially, if they want to monetize on Joe Rogan, if they want to advertise on Joe Rogan, they have to pay Spotify. I think that part of it worked. As far as the originals, which is them acquiring individual studios like Gimlet, The Ringer, Parcast, they, in a lot of cases, really backtracked on that. Gimlet Media and Parcast lost a lot of shows over the past year. Just recently, I broke the news that two of Gimlet's shows, Heavyweight and Stolen, two really critically acclaimed shows were being canceled by Spotify. So the originals, I think, were a bit more of a struggle. I don't necessarily believe those panned out as Spotify had initially planned.
0: And I think, you know, look, I'm I'm not a completely neutral party here. As a journalist, I listen to those shows. I admire those shows. I think one thing that I have struggled to understand is what, make something pan out for Spotify, right? How do they look at something like Stolen, which won a Pulitzer Prize, won a Peabody Award and say, yeah, that's not doing it for us?
1: Yes, that is the big question, right? I, I don't fully know what their thinking is, but if I were to speculate, I would say, and this is something we've seen across the podcast industry, this isn't specifically a Spotify thing, which is seasonal podcasts. So shows that come out maybe a couple times a year. They're not always on, so they're not like a weekly show. Those can be really difficult to monetize because one, they're often expensive to make because typically you're using that time to put together a really beautiful narrative show. But also if you're off for part of the year, like you're not publishing for part of the year, advertisers might move on from that show or if it's a wholly new season, that's a totally new thing. Maybe they don't necessarily believe you'll still get the same download numbers. It can be difficult to bring advertisers into that. So from a seasonal podcast perspective, that could be some of what Spotify and other podcast companies have been thinking about.
0: Spotify puts so much money into podcasting. How would you describe the hope behind that and
1: then the reality? Spotify spent over a billion dollars to get into podcasting. And I think the hope was that they would become, one, the listening destination for podcasts, just the dominant listening platform. Two, that they would have their own originals business that would drive people to their platform and also potentially allow them to build up ad revenue around those shows. And, And the interesting note, at least this was really interesting at the time that this happened, Spotify, when you're a premium subscriber, you don't hear ads on music, but when you listen to a podcast, you hear ads. So this was one way that Hmm. Spotify was able to actually kind of double dip on revenue. You're a premium subscriber, so they're making money from you as a subscriber, but also if you listen to their podcasts, they're pocketing that revenue as well. So they saw an opportunity to basically build their business outside of music and really grow an advertising arm, as well as, again, just a more powerful platform.
0: But Spotify has made major changes to its podcasting division this year, especially, as Ashley noted, to the originals business. Those are the shows that Spotify creates in-house. More than a dozen shows have been canceled, and that includes those award-winning ones. Hundreds of people lost jobs. 600 people were let go across the company in January, 200 people in the podcasting shop in June. Then came this week's announcement, another company-wide layoff of 1,500 people. Plus, Spotify lost $462 million in the first nine months of the year, though it did make a surprise profit in the third quarter. It feels like the Past year has been painful for Spotify. Do you think that's an accurate description?
1: I would say it's definitely been painful for folks who have been laid off or have watched their colleagues be layoff, laid off. Over 2,000 people uh, lost their jobs at Spotify this past year. Were you expecting this latest round of layoffs? In hindsight, I understand that Spotify has ambitious goals around they need to be profitable. And and this is, again, what their investors are demanding of them. And so to get there, you know, you can raise prices, which they have done. You can cut costs, which they have done, but perhaps now they had to do more so aggressively. So in hindsight, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised, but It was quite a lot right before the holidays and after already having made multiple cuts this year.
0: When we come back, what kind of tunes does Spotify really want to play?
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you have such a good read on the streaming business and its ambitions. What does Spotify want to
1: be? How does it characterize what kind of platform it is? Mm, That's a great question. Spotify wants to be a creator platform, and I think they really want to eventually be a formidable—not that they aren't already, but really a formidable competitor— to YouTube and YouTube music and potentially even TikTok, de- depending on how TikTok sort of develops its streaming offerings in the future. But with YouTube, you know, what YouTube has going for it is that it has all the eyeballs, everyone is watching things on YouTube or listening on YouTube music. They have monetization really worked out lots of advertisers use Google and advertise on YouTube and creators can, it's a no brainer. If you're a creator, you're going to put your content on YouTube because you can so easily monetize it. I think Spotify wants that. Spotify wants people to put more of their content on the platform. They want to be able to very easily monetize it and therefore be able to take a cut of it, of course, a new revenue line. And they really want to be a place that people have to spend time and ideally subscribe to be in there.
0: So when I hear you talking, I mean, this is about they want to not have YouTubers, but like spotify or some type of better sounding noun than that be a place that is a destination.
1: Yeah. And I think it could even be YouTubers. I mean, Emma Chamberlain is a podcaster they made a deal with, but she's originally a YouTuber. And what they did is they put some of her videos on Spotify exclusively. So in that way, yes, they have more directly come for YouTube. But I, I do wonder if maybe they even believe that they, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's just that they want to be a tentable place for creators to feel they need to participate in Spotify's world.
0: But this creates an interesting tension, right? If you are a platform for creators, are, are you just that? Are you a platform? Or do you end up being enmeshed with the people who are on your platform? Joe Rogan, for example. I think we talked to you when when Spotify made the original Rogan deal, and, you know, some of the things that come out of his mouth have caused Daniel Ek to just say, like, hey, man, we just distribute this podcast.
1: So I wonder how they walk that line. The Rogan situation was a tough time for the company. The long story short is... Neil Young pulled his music because he said that Joe Rogan was spreading COVID-19 misinformation. Spotify essentially sided with Rogan and that they would, did not stop working with Rogan. They did not pull down Rogan's show. They continued to pay him and work with him and monetize his show and put it out there. And that was a very interesting moment because, yeah, at that time, Spotify did say, you know, it, it essentially wanted to be a neutral platform. And I think that debate is so yeah. ongoing Um, but as they cut back on their own original programming, I do think they are more and more turning into a distribution and monetization arm for creators rather than a news organization or a media publishing organization like they were at that time. They do still work with Rogan. And I think in that situation, that's very specific. And they will, I mean, we saw that they were like, we're a platform. We're not a media publisher, but Of course, plenty of people make the argument that they are in that regard. Where does TikTok
0: fit in to all of this and the sort of specter of TikTok music that's floating out there?
1: TikTok is a little spooky to Spotify, I think, because TikTok is, of course, a very much Gen Z platform and it drives culture in music over the past few years, it has been a place where lots of people discover songs, discover artists, discover sounds. And when they do that on TikTok, they might eventually go to Spotify to listen. But I think what's terrifying is that, at least for maybe Spotify, would be that TikTok is really where the culture is happening and Spotify is the place you go after you've already been part of the culture. And I assume Spotify probably wants to be more of a driver of the culture, which is like what podcasts could do for them. Um, And so TikTok has kind of presented this Gen Z struggle for Spotify. TikTok did launch in certain territories TikTok Music, which is their own paid streaming service. They haven't really expanded it much since that initial rollout. They just launched a button that allows people to save Sounds they hear to their music app, so like Spotify, they have an integration with Spotify. So maybe this won't end up being the biggest deal, but I do think that they kind of are playing in the same sandbox. You know, when Spotify launched,
0: the company really upended the music business. I mean, it just completely did that. After the music business had struggled for so long with piracy, do you think the company still carries that? degree of weight? Or is it just another tech company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Spotify is a huge partner to the record labels, to podcasters, and maybe in the future to public book publishers. We'll see. But absolutely, Spotify is an incredibly important platform to them. And you can see some of that in the way that Spotify has now started to create its own marketplace. So for example, they can labels can buy ads on Spotify and advertise or market their latest releases. I mean, they are really an important place for labels to try to take advantage of to get their music in front of folks.
0: When you look ahead
1: to the next year, what are you going to be watching? Over the next year, I'm really going to be watching the audiobooks rollout personally. It's very exciting to me that Spotify's moved into a new media format in audiobooks, at least. And for people who don't know, essentially Spotify's now offering, if you're a premium subscriber in the US, the UK, and I think Australia, you can get 15 hours of listening included as part of your subscription. And this is a really different way for audiobooks to be consumed, at least really in the US. And so... Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting year to see will this actually move the needle for publishers? Like, will people actually listen to new audiobooks? Will they take Spotify up on this offer? Will they upgrade and get additional hours? Will audiobooks and writing end up being more like music where people are compensated like in the streaming world? You know, there's just so many questions around the audiobooks and I'm I'm really excited to dig into it. You
0: mentioned a couple times this sort of ambition to be the culture, like create the culture. What what does that mean to them exactly? What would that look like if they succeeded?
1: They, well, Discovery. I mean, so Discover Weekly, when it came out, was such a big deal. It was like revolutionary that you could have a playlist custom made for you with all these songs that you probably really liked. So that was a huge deal. Then TikTok came around with the endless sort of scroll here. And people started discovering music and sounds that way. And we've seen Spotify try to replicate that a little bit in its own app. It recently redesigned the app where it auto-plays videos or sounds and songs. And in that way, I think it's trying to kind of claw some of that back and be a place where discovery of culture, discovery of music, discovery of podcasts happens.
0: Ashley Carmen, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ashley Carmen covers podcasting, music, and all things audio for Bloomberg News. And that is it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. And this is John's last show with us. I cannot say enough wonderful things about him. He's a great editor and an even better colleague, despite his tendency to try to put bad puns in my scripts. John, we will miss you so, so much. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate, and TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of what we're doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com/slash what next plus to sign up. All right, we will be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.